In a moment, we are going to hear God's word read to us. And before we do so, let's take a moment to pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive this good news. Let's pray. God of light, you are the force that persists even in the darkness of the world. Thank you. We pray that as we hear your word today, your light would be visible to us, both to our eyes, but also to our hearts. Make it plain to us what you have for us to hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Old Testament reading today is Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who parted, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me. Those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. second scripture passage comes today from 
The book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, as they were going around sharing the good news about Jesus. So our reading is chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and then it continues with chapter 14, verses 8 through 18. And it's a passage where we hear about the new churches that are beginning to be formed and the way that the Holy Spirit is intersecting the life of those churches and how the Spirit is guiding those people in the churches to go out and share the good news about Jesus um, more fully in the world and across all the, all the earth. So let's listen to these words. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So in Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifice. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their ways. Yet he has not left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, we have heard two passages about the Holy Spirit of God. One from the Old Testament that Larry just read about the Spirit's pervasiveness and presence throughout the world. And then also another passage from the book of Acts, which comes much after when that psalmist was writing Psalm 139. And it comes as at this moment when the church, like I said, is beginning to go throughout all the world and share the good news about Jesus. And I want to just sit and reflect on the Holy Spirit with you for, for this time. 
and reflect and hopefully uh, communicate this, that the Holy Spirit is the life-giving presence of God, which not only connects Jesus to, to God, as Jesus, who is God, walked the earth, but also connects us to God in an indissoluble bond. And that this spirit also connects us really powerfully to one another. So before we dive into to all that weighty task, trying to understand that, I just want to step back and reflect on, on the word spirit within scripture. Because in scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, the Old Testament word for spirit is ruach, which can mean wind or breath. And I want to just think about that for a moment. I want to think about it by each of us taking in a breath. So take in a deep breath and let it out. I don't know about you, but that was incredibly relaxing to me and life-giving as well. And think about it. We, we take in oxygen, and this oxygen moves into our blood and out into our organs, giving life. And, and through this process, this oxygen not only brings life in, but it also expels something toxic to us out, right? It's this life-giving process. Think about wind for a second. Think about it on a hot day when you're like, oh my gosh, I could just use a little breeze. And it comes, and it's wonderful and beautiful and helps to alleviate the scorch of heat. Or think about the moments when the wind can sound terrible as it's rushing through the trees or knocking up against the house. And how powerful as well as gentle it can be. I say all this because... <clears throat> The Holy Spirit, this thing that we cannot see, Scripture tells us, this book tells us, is both life-giving and can be both gentle and powerful all at the same time. The Holy Spirit is the second person of God, and, and I think these images, these tangible images, can help us grasp a little bit more of, of God in this invisible form. That God, the Holy Spirit, is this life-giving, powerful force Moving, moving in us and around us and all across the world. This thing that we cannot see, always there. And I think that's what is going on in Psalm 139, right? Where the Spirit is constantly wrestling with this question, where can I go from your Spirit? Over and over, tumbling with this question. And eventually saying, there's no place on earth, there's no place in my own experience that I can go to where you are not there. You know the woes that I go through and also the heights of my joy. You know each person across this earth. And it's this beautiful picture that we cannot see God, no, but we cannot escape God because of God's ever-present and ever-life-giving and powerful presence with us. As Pastor Stacy says sometimes, that the Spirit is closer to us than our own breath. But, but what does God's Spirit do, and, and how, can, how can we understand what the Spirit's work is? And to me, this can become really uh, hard to describe, but I love tangible images and moments when it becomes really real for me. And, and two 
pretty poignant points when the Spirit's work becomes real for me is in Jesus' baptism at the beginning of the Gospels, and then also at Pentecost, where it's the beginning of the life of the church as they carry the good news of Jesus out into the world. So I just want to talk about those for, for a couple minutes. First, Jesus' baptism, right? At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's about 33 years old, 30, oh, he's my age, look at that. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so he's, he's coming out to the River Jordan because John the Baptist is, is inviting all of God's people saying, hey, turn aside, turn from the regular paths you're going for because God's gonna do something new. And I'm inviting you to, to, to come here and get a fresh start. And so he's inviting people to step into the, to the river to experience this, this um, kind of representative washing as a way of exhibiting cleansing that can happen. But also when, when baptism happens, people are submerged as a way of signifying the, the death of the old self and the old, old patterns that people are following. And when they're brought up, they would, it would be a representation of this new life, this new way forward that they were invited toward. There's this beautiful representation. And so Jesus comes with everybody else, the washed and the unwashed, the good and the bad. He, he came like everybody else, just like we would come. <laughs> and he came and John baptized him, and as he was coming out of the water, it says the heavens were torn open and a dove representing the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus. And a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son, my beloved, and I'm pleased with him. I'm delighted in him. And so at this moment when the Holy Spirit shows up, it's this moment when this declaration is made of Jesus. You are my son, claiming his own, claiming him as a family member. God is doing that. And it's this beautiful way in which the Father is saying about the identity of Jesus. But, but more than that, I want to kind of tie into this, what the Holy Spirit's doing. I think when the, when the dove descends, it's this physical representation of the way that the Holy Spirit is there as a conduit of communication, of communion, of, of connection between the God who we cannot see, the God beyond the clouds, so to speak, and God in Jesus who comes and walks with us. And so there's this tight connection. The Holy Spirit provides that bond that, that is always there. And because of that bond, Jesus can say that I and the Father, I and God are one, and we are connected in this beautiful way. So that wherever Jesus goes and whatever he does, he always knows what God is thinking and what God is longing for him to do in the world. And this is, this is proven true a little bit later. So, so bear with me for a second. Jesus baptized, comes out of the water, goes in the desert, and is there fasting for, for a couple days. You might know this story. And uh, he becomes famished, then, you know, comes out of that experience, and goes straight into the temple. Boy, he's a busy guy. Just doesn't stop. And he goes into the temple, kind of like, like we would be here today, and he goes in, and he reads from the passage of, of Isaiah, and it says this, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me in, in Luke 4. Here, I actually looked it up, so I don't have to give you Garrett's translated version. Don't nobody want to hear that. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of God's favor. In this moment of a baptism, when the Holy Spirit comes, it sets up this indissoluble bond of communication between God and Jesus, where Jesus always knows that he's in the beloved embrace of God, and that he knows, therefore, what to do in the world and how to share God's heart with the world. And the beautiful thing is that when Jesus comes in the world, he shows us the very heart of God and the very thing that God loves and loves for us to pursue. And the heart of it is in this passage about lifting up the poor and proclaiming good news and freedom in God's favor. So that's kind of all swirling around there, passage about communication and belovedness and purpose. And I want to move to the second moment when the Holy Spirit shows up in Pentecost. So over here we are at the beginning of the Gospels, and Jesus does his thing. He shows God's heart throughout the whole Gospel. He is not liked because of it. In fact, he's not liked so much that the people in power eventually kill him, crucify him. He dies. He's in the tomb three days. And he's raised by the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to walk around showing this, his scars to all the, the, the followers and the people around town. And they begin to see and believe. And then it's time for him to go away. And in one account, in John's gospel, it actually says that at this moment, at the end, Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Breathes on them the Holy Spirit. That's in John 20, if you want to look it up. But Luke takes it a different way. Luke kind of depicts Jesus going to heaven, and the disciples are kind of just like hunkered down, and they're like, all right, what do we do? And all of a sudden, it says like a rush of violent wind. The Holy Spirit blew into the place where they were meeting, and tongues of fire appeared among them, and they began to speak they, these Galileans of one place began to speak in the languages of all the people who were there in Jerusalem. And people had come from all over the place because they were celebrating the, the moment when, when God in the Old Testament Exodus gave the Ten Commandments to God's people. So all the people from all over the world who were Jewish would come and they'd celebrate uh, God giving the Ten Commandments. So that's what they were there in Jerusalem doing. And so you had people from Rome and Egypt and all these places. And so it would be like, it'd be like the Holy Spirit blowing in here and then all of a sudden we were able to speak in African languages and Asian languages and Latin American languages and all the dialects of New York City and New Jersey. <laughs> I can't go through all those for you right now. It would take an act of the Holy Spirit. And, um, so um, the, the important point being that this is the moment when the Holy Spirit is poured out so that's, that, that, that the church, the believers, who we now, we, us here in this room, are a part of, we are now connected by the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And we, by the Holy Spirit, are connected to the God we cannot see. And we have an indissoluble bond between us and this God, and 
us and each other because God has called each one of us, whoever we are and however we find our way into this place. For what? For the purpose of sharing what Jesus shared, which is God's own heart with the world. Exactly what he was pointing out in in Luke. And so the beautiful truth is that the very spirit of God, the giver and sustainer and power of life, of all life, is personally and powerfully present with us in each moment and wherever we are at in life. And I wonder what that means to you. I wonder what that means to you personally, that the Spirit of God lives in you and among you each day. And perhaps it means something different for each one of us because we each have different experiences, but the thing that's common to each of us is that we all are human and we all have needs. And the deep truth of this is God longs to provide for our needs. And so maybe you come in here and are struggling with belonging, struggling to find a place and a community that is your own. And God says to you, you are my beloved. You are my son. You are my daughter. And that will never change. And you always have a place in my family. Maybe you're coming in here and you're struggling with, with some sort of forgiveness, with forgiving yourself, or forgiving another, or, or maybe that you've been wronged. And the promise of, of God is this thing that Pastor Stacy mentioned earlier, that our God is gracious and merciful, always slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and quick to forgive. And the knowledge that we are always forgiven even if we cannot forgive ourselves, even if we're holding out for forgiveness from another person, the truth is that God has already forgiven us. Maybe you come in here and you're in this stagnant point of life and just hoping for something different, longing for something new, and the promise of, of God through, through, through baptism, we see this dying and rising that I spoke about the old, um, earlier in the service, is that we are connected to a God who's always about us flourishing, us inviting us to put aside old patterns of life that might not help and coming alive to new ones. Maybe you come in here and you're longing for purpose. And the beautiful thing is, is that through baptism you are connected to a God whose purpose is the greatest purpose that we could know, which is to share the love of God and to show that love with words or actions in every way. And it doesn't necessarily look like going like Paul and Barnabas and having to, 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 to do these amazing miracles, though it can be that. Perhaps it just means sitting back, whether at school or at work, and asking, how can I show kindness here? How can I show care to those around me, even if they're maybe not deserving of it? How can I work towards some, some justice and fix what's wrong to make something right? Maybe it asks, starts with asking those questions and answering them in small ways, wherever we might find ourselves. And lastly, maybe you're coming here and you are really wrestling with the question of, of, of facing death 
and eternity and wondering what that looks like. And the promises in baptism, the promise that God gives is that you are held by an unshakable bond with the one who trampled over death to make a road beyond it to life. The beautiful thing is that the Holy Spirit is an indissoluble bond between us and God, always and forever. And it takes a lifetime to truly understand what that means, and I'm 30 and I'm just barely grasping what it means. And the beautiful thing is that we get to figure it out together when we come here each week, and we get to share in our life experiences so that we can help each other figure it out along the way, because we don't always get it right, right? And the beautiful thing is that we get to do that together, and as we get to do this together, we have the wonderful, beautiful opportunity to share that with, with many more people. Because after all, God longs for each person in this world, across this earth, to know these beautiful promises and to know the life-giving presence and power of the Holy Spirit, who's always with us, always our advocate, and as the last part of this passage said, and I'm reminded by Kathy Spawn, who said it this morning, the Holy Spirit fills our hearts with joy. With joy. May God fill your spirit and your heart with joy today and always. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your presence through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that your presence would remain known to us in this moment as we celebrate baptism, but with, with each moment, each moment throughout the week. And we know that your presence is made powerful in weakness, and I pray that, that even through the tough times, even in the weak moments, that your power and your, your goodness might be evident to help lead us beyond those moments. Uh, but wherever we find ourselves, we pray your Holy Spirit would be guiding us. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.